As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Adjusted for purchasing power, China is now the world's largest economy. It's also the world's largest trading nation, importing and exporting more than the United States and the European Union. However, despite its economic growth, China's currency is not the world reserve, and that is something that will limit its economic potential and perhaps more importantly, its influence. The American dollar has been doing very well recently, and a lot of that is due to the world being in an uncertain economic situation. Fears around inflation and recession are causing individuals and institutions with lots of money to look for safe places to keep their wealth until this whole thing blows over. And we're safer to keep it than in the world's default medium of exchange. Being the world's reserve currency has a lot of advantages beyond just bragging rights. And whether they publicly admit it or not, China would love for their currency to be treated the same way in the global economy, and they are doing their best to try and get it there. So, what does it mean for a currency to be the world reserve? What are the advantages of being the world's reserve currency? Why has the US dollar held this title up until now? What is China doing to try and change that? And could the yuan realistically be a viable replacement? The US dollar has obviously not always been the world's reserve currency. It's only existed in its current form since the early 1900s, and it wasn't until the mid-20th century that it effectively took the title from the British pound, which was the world's reserve through the colonial era of global trade. The Bretton Woods Agreement changed all of that, though. Towards the end of the Second World War, 44 countries sat down and laid out a plan for an efficient system of global trade and finance. This agreement pegged the price of the American dollar to a set amount of gold. The currencies of all other participating nations were then pegged to the dollar. This allowed countries to keep American dollars in reserve instead of physical gold because they knew they could always exchange their dollars for gold at any given time should the need arise. This made American dollars the default choice for doing any kind of international trade because chances are the currencies of the trading nations were pegged to the American dollar anyway. It also effectively mandated that countries keep a certain amount of American dollars in reserve so that they could always honour currency exchanges at the agreed upon peg price. Even today, one of the primary uses for reserve currencies is to protect nations in times of crises where their own currency might not be that attractive to international parties. Now, if you watched our video last month on the gold standard, you will know that the Bretton Woods system fell apart in the 1970s. But the US dollar is still the world's reserve, mostly because, even after this rigid system fell apart, the US dollar was still the logical choice. Today, being the world's reserve currency doesn't really mean anything. There is no international organisation or treaty that says the US dollar is what countries must use, and the same was true before Bretton Woods too. In fact, the Bretton Woods Agreement was really the exception that proves the rule that global reserve currencies become reserve currencies because they are the best choice available, not because of any official ruling. The US dollar is historically very stable. It is widely recognised and there is enough in international circulation for it to be useful for trade. It also has a fair value. It's no longer backed by gold, but its exchange price is determined by the international market, and it's the only way that the citizens of the largest economy in the world can pay their taxes. 
taxes that also go to fund the most powerful military in the history of humanity. That kind of helps too. Fair value, wide circulation, stability and wide acceptance are the four ingredients that any currency would need to become the world's reserve. And, at least as of making this video, American dollars out to any other currency in all of these categories. The best way to personally see why the US dollar is the unofficial global go-to as the reserve currency is to consider this. If you could get paid in any currency other than the currency of your home country, what would you choose? Probably American dollars, right? If you are an American, you can still play along, pick another currency and remember it for later. Now, what does this all actually matter? What are the advantages of being the world's reserve? America has been the world's largest economy for 130 years now, so all other things being equal, it just makes sense that if any currency was going to be the world's reserve, it would be America's. But does this give any actual advantages over other economies using other currencies? Well, yes, a lot of advantages actually. The first is that it does away with a lot of the exchange rate risk when doing business internationally. An American company exporting goods for American dollars is not going to run the risk of the currency it receives being worth more or less relative to its domestic currency because American dollars are its domestic currency. Reduced foreign exchange risk also makes America a lot more attractive to international investors. It's no good making 20% returns on your international investment if the value of the currency those investments are denoted in is down 30%. Given the inherent stability that comes with being the world's reserve, this risk is not as apparent and being the go-to for international investment has some huge advantages. It makes it easier for the government to raise money for starters, and since the federal government's debts are entirely denoted in the currency that they control, there is practically zero default risk on their part. It also makes it much easier for businesses to find investors, which means that those businesses will have more money to put towards creating value in the economy. The US has some of the most productive workers in the world. Not because Americans are particularly well educated or hardworking or even that special, but simply because businesses have more money to put towards tools to make their workers better. Outside of pure economics, having control over the world's reserve also gives the US an unbelievable amount of political power. International financial institutions have to fall in line with American laws even outside of America or risk being cut off from using the go-to currency for international finance. This kind of power is obviously very attractive, and that's why the Chinese government has not made much of a secret about wanting their currency to be the new world reserve, or at the very least a viable alternative to the American dollar. So how are they trying to do this? Currently the Chinese Yuan, or renminbi, is the third most common currency reserve after the Euro and of course the US dollar. The greatest tool that China has to push its currency onto the world stage is simply trade. Every time trade is done between two foreign countries, a decision is made. Will they settle the trade with the currency of the exporting nation, the importing nation, or some third party currency like the American dollar? For small-time trades, the importer normally pays the exporter in their local currency. If a small Australian business was importing engine components from Germany, they would have to pay the German business in euros because small businesses like this are normally only set up to take payments in their domestic currency. Larger operations can go either way, and normally the settlement currency is something that is agreed upon in the purchase agreement contracts. On the scale of global commodity transfers though, it is simply easier to use a trustworthy third party, which is almost always the American dollar. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. 
I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You might have heard US dollars referred to as petrodollars, and that is because almost all international oil sales are done using American dollars. This means big oil exporting countries naturally build up large reserves of this currency. China does a lot of trade. It is by far the largest manufacturer of goods in the world, and it sells those goods to basically everyone. I would almost guarantee that every single person watching this video right now has something within a metre of them that was made in China. To make these products, China also imports a lot of raw materials, fuels and pieces of machinery. All of these exports and imports present an opportunity for China to request that trade be done using their currency. They are also taking a more direct approach with their neighbours. The Belt and Road Initiative has been a major infrastructure project undertaken by the Chinese government to provide trade infrastructure to developing nations in their region. We've already done an entire video on the pros and cons of this plan, so I don't want to repeat too much here, but a lot of this development has been funded through loans given out by Chinese state banks. Loans that are denoted in Chinese RMB and need to be paid back in Chinese RMB. If sovereign governments have large national debts that they need to pay back in a currency different from their own, they are effectively forced to have some of that currency in reserve or else they risk defaulting on their loan. The best way to build up these reserves is by trading with China. China's mission to push its currency onto the world stage has also been assisted by the war in Ukraine. Never let a good crisis go to waste, and China surely hasn't. Last month, Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa, the so-called BRICS economies, met up to discuss their ongoing trade relationships, mostly in the context of Western sanctions being placed on Russia. These are all very powerful economies, and trade between them is up 38% this year as they deal more intensely amongst themselves since being cut off from trading with the West. China is benefiting from this in more ways than getting cheap oil from Russia. It is pushing the trading bloc to adopt the RMB as the de facto medium of exchange, and given that it is by far the biggest and most important member of this group, this is likely to happen whether the other countries really like it or not. Western sanctions, particularly those that cut off Russian reserves of American dollars, have also made a few governments around the world a bit uneasy about how much safety they really get from their reserves. Remember, the four ingredients that any currency needs to be a reserve currency is fair value, wide circulation, stability and wide acceptance. If the American government can just choose to cut off the reserves of a foreign nation that they decide as being naughty, then there is nothing to say that it won't happen to them. For economies that are very politically, culturally and economically close to America, like Canada, Australia and most of Western Europe, 
This probably isn't a huge deal, because they are extremely unlikely to be sanctioned by the US. But for countries that don't have such strong ties, these sanctions are acting as a bit of a wake-up call to say that it's probably worth diversifying the emergency reserves to include some currencies that can't be cut off by the West. As far as hedges against the risk of being sanctioned by America go, the Chinese Yuan is about as good as it gets. It's a currency that can be used to make direct purchases from the largest exporting nation in the world, and the Ukrainian invasion has shown that the Chinese government is happy to do business with economies that have been shunned by the West. So, with so much pressure behind it, will the Chinese RMB ever be the world's reserve currency? Well, probably not. Yes, its global use is certainly on the rise, as is to be expected given China's economic growth over the past three decades. But when I asked you earlier what currency you would choose to be paid in if not your own, I don't think many of you would have picked RMB. Holding a reserve currency is in many ways like holding shares in the currency issuing country. You want to be sure it's run well, it's run sustainably, and that management won't do anything silly. China's currency just has a lot of problems that make it unpalatable in the eyes of many institutions. There are just direct limitations on how it can be used. Chinese citizens are not allowed to transfer more than the equivalent of 50,000 US dollars worth of the currency out of China every year. This demonstrates two things. One, that China thinks it's necessary to effectively imprison the wealth of its people onshore to stop them from starting businesses and lives overseas. And it also shows that even China itself is so uncomfortable with the true value of its own currency that it writes laws in US dollars. If tomorrow Chinese citizens were suddenly allowed to exchange as much money as they wanted, there would be a mass sell-off of Chinese RMB in foreign exchange markets, reducing the currency's value. China also artificially lowers the value of its currency in foreign exchange markets to make its exports more competitive. This is a tactic that has helped it build the impressive industrial base it has today, but it also means that its currency does not have a truly fair value, one of the important factors to consider when picking a currency to keep in reserve. Between limitations on its citizens transferring money and its foreign exchange manipulations, China kind of has a currency that is both overvalued and undervalued at the same time. Now, as for protections against sanctions, yes, if foreign currency reserves are held exclusively in American dollars, then the US can sanction those reserves, and many governments aren't totally comfortable with a foreign government having that kind of power over them. Fair enough. But China isn't really a viable alternative. It has a much worse reputation for unnecessarily punitive economic actions. The US sanctioned Russia because it started a war of aggression with another foreign nation. China sanctioned Australia because it wanted to conduct an investigation into the cause of the coronavirus to prevent another outbreak. Yes, foreign currency reserves are subject to the whims of the governments that issue them, but some governments are just inherently more stable than others, and it's not like there are only two options either. Most central banks are now stocking up on a range of currencies to keep in reserve. For now at least, concerns over extended lockdowns, trade wars, debt crises, housing bubbles and government infighting are hurting the case for the RMB Global Reserve far more than any opportunistic gains and heavy-handed trade deals are doing to help it. The world is constantly changing and transforming. Cut through some of the noise with What's New with Wired, a podcast that goes in-depth on the latest news and technology and culture. Their award-winning journalism will help you make sense of what's happening in the world. Listen to What's New with Wired wherever you get your podcasts.
That's what's new with Wired wherever you get your podcasts.